you know, we just want to say thank you for everyone that's been tapping in, everyone that's been showing love, everyone that's been reposting or giving us advice on how we could, you know, make the brand a little better. Uh, everything you guys have been doing for us has been so, so helpful. And uh, we just want to say thank you. Yeah, and this week's episode is sponsored by nobody. Not yet, at least. <laughs> Um, but our first guest is Giorgio Hawkins, who is a Wisconsin native who served eight years in the United States Marine Corps, um, who departed his active duty as a captain in 2018. Giorgio currently works for MLG Capital, which is a 35-year-old private real estate investment firm with over $5.6 billion in historical commercial real estate transactions nationwide. Um, during this episode, Giorgio will walk us through his upbringing, um, his, uh, you know, collegiate experience, and then his transition into, you know, the Marine Corps. And yeah, you know, I think it's it's, it's a great conversation that we enjoy. So please tap in and uh, yeah, let's get it. Appreciate you guys having me on. It's a pleasure. Um, a little bit about my background. Grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. I was actually born in Chicago. Family moved me up to Madison when I was pretty young. Um, I'm the youngest of four siblings, so I have two older sisters and an older brother. Um, grew up in Madison, kind of in a not so great part of Madison. Um, parents divorced when we were young, so, uh, kind of single mother household type situation, uh, to where she was supporting the, the four kids. And, uh, I mean, she was a hustler though. She was a grinder. Um, she worked four jobs at one point in time. I remember, going we were often left alone to kind of fend for ourselves because she would work her first her main job that she still actually works today but she had her main job then she had another job which she was uh, i don't know if you guys are familiar with like oscar meyer but there's the oscar meyer yeah, plant in madison yeah, yeah, so yeah my they, mom the, the wiener the wiener uh car used Mobile. to be riding yeah yeah wiener wheel used to be riding yep. around yeah yep so my mom worked there so that was like her second job mm-hmm. so she worked that in the middle of the night. And then she also had a, a third job working at uh, Fashion Bug, which is like it's a retail store. Yeah. Uh, and then her fourth job, it was really her passion, her hobby, but she loved to DJ. So she would DJ at nightclubs and stuff. Uh, but she was literally like day on, stay on. She'd come home, sleep for like two, three hours, and then like hit it, hit it again, which is crazy, especially being old now, having kids, looking back at the time I reflect on that and I'm just like, she is a champion. She's amazing because, uh, I just, I couldn't live off two, three hours of sleep and, and continue to grind every day like she did. Um, but yeah, so grew up in Madison. Um, uh, so I did elementary school, uh, middle school and then high school in Madison with the Madison East high school was involved in a bunch of sports. Um, did football, basketball track. And then, um, I was like a, in a leadership position pretty much throughout high school. So, uh, freshman year, I'm the freshman year football team and basketball teams, captain on both teams, uh, for the freshman squad. Sophomore year, uh, captain of the JV team on football. I actually stopped basketball at that time because I wanted to kind of focus up on football and track. Uh, and then my junior and senior years of high school, I was both captain of the, the varsity football team and track team for both years. Um, so kind of had some, some semblance of, of leadership. I reflecting back on it, I was like, man, I was kind of a, a quiet kid though. I was, uh, I was a kid that I just grinded. Like I just did everything 110%. And I'd get a lot of people that would, uh, if you play like pickup basketball for it, you know, I'm the guy that's like going 110% and people are like, Hey man, you need to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. And I, I was just like, if you're going to play it all, play to win. That was just my mindset that I had at the time. And so. Uh, I was just grind hard, but no, I think, I think it's, that's one of those things that we always realize early on. Like I, for me, at least like, so I'm one of seven, it's kind of the same thing where my, yeah. my dad, I'm not, I, I uh, until he passed, I don't remember him having less than three jobs. Like, like he would, his whole, his whole interactions with my mom, a lot of times where he'll come home, my mama would wash the uniform that he had in. Then he would change it to the next uniform and we would interact like that and then basically go to the next job. But I, I think it's it's always funny because when you talk about uh, just being resourceful, like I would imagine you and your siblings were always act like doing something like in some kind of program or something like for me, I was in the Boys and Girls Club a lot, you know, or like we were doing di- different things outside. Um, and I guess w- what was that like, you know, throughout that time where 
your 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 interactions with your siblings when you know who was the i guess because you're the younger one like was your brother the one that kind of got you into stuff or explain that dynamic for us man so it's actually it's really interesting to think about too me and my wife were just reflecting on this the other day um so at a very early age we i mean like most kids we were bad like really bad as kids like you know cops called and stuff on us for doing just dumb things um and so there was a point in time and i couldn't have been more than like i was in elementary school probably second grade so what is that like seven years old or something like Mm -hmm. that but i remember we had just me and my siblings all just got in trouble for something and then we turn around the next day and we you know when you get in trouble you get you get toned up by the parents so we got we got toned up we my mom would have she'd have two things the extension cord and then she'd have the weight belt like the weight belt they use at the gym. Oh, and we yeah, got the yeah. weight belt the night before. And then, so we that just covers did a lot of area, bro. It covers a lot yeah. of area. So that's, that's like, the, like, it's like bigger. So like you feel it everywhere, bro. Everywhere. Like <laughs> yeah. from, from your back to your knees. Like. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was bad. So we, we just did something, just got toned up by the weight belt. And then the next day, my siblings were going to do the same thing that we just got in trouble for. So, and I just, I just remember vividly in this moment, I'm like, looking. I just said, nope, I'm not doing it. They went and did it. They got in trouble. They got toned up. I didn't. And a light bulb went off. And I just said, I can now make my own decisions. I can choose to go a different path. I don't have to continue to follow what they do. And so from that moment on, it was kind of a diverging path of different activities and things. So when you talked about who maybe was the leader in getting me involved in things, they were somewhat involved in activities and things, but they weren't very involved. They were more so in the streets, so to speak. And, and I chose to take a different path and I got actively involved. I was the, probably the first one. Uh, actually, I was the first one out of all my siblings to actually join a sports team, an organized sports team, which I didn't do so until middle school, right? Cause I didn't have the, the blueprint. I didn't know how to do it. I had to figure it out because my mom didn't have the time. I didn't see any of my other siblings doing it. So I literally had to figure out how do I find the paperwork? in the right place to go to get signed up for an organized sports team. And I finally figured it out in sixth grade, about too late to join the football team at that time. Cause it was like mid season, but then, so I joined the next year and then, so I did football, basketball, and then it just kept rolling from there. But seventh grade, took me to seventh grade to figure it out. But, uh, but it yeah, takes so, time. It takes time. Yeah. I think, I think kind of similarly, I remember like, so my, one of my brothers was like really good. He was, he's like, he had shoe boxes full of scholarships, like, this dude in football, wow. wrestling. He won state in wrestling in Wisconsin, like beast. That's amazing. Yeah. And um, I remember there was a time when I was like, I was like, because I, I didn't, my dad wasn't really into sports or anything, but I'm, he had the same work ethic. So I'm like, I'm a grind. I'm a, you know, work, I'll work everybody. And I remember one time I was outside and I probably told this story before in the episode, but I was outside shooting a ball in the snow and the ball kept bouncing in the snow banks. And I just remember thinking like, Yo, I don't want it that bad. Like, I'm over here cold as hell. You know what I'm saying? Picking the ball up. My hands are, like, rock solid. And I'm wondering why I can't do anything. And I was just like, yo, maybe the sports thing isn't for me. And you for you realize, like, at least for me, I realized, like, yo, maybe I should just stick to, like, the academic part and, like, do what I can in sports, but, like, focus on that. And I think it's so important because you it's all it's always crazy. Like, you see your, your siblings in one household and you're like, how the hell did we come out the same household? Right, like how, right. like you know, because we have all our like same parents, same everything. But like, how did you end up this way? And I think for me, it was kind of similar to you, where you like, you know what, I'm gonna just do this over here, and if it works, it works. If it don't, it don't. But you know, right. it is what it is. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. I love that. And then for for me too, I think getting involved in sports was like a pivotal moment for me because then I I started to get mentors being mm-hmm. coaches. So they saw my work ethic. They saw how hard I was working to get better, right? Because I had no formal training for anything. I just would do whatever uh, with like my siblings or friends. And so I had to learn all the basics for basketball, football, everything. But I had kind of that natural talent, but I would work hard. And so I just kept grinding at it. I think the coaches kind of picked up on that. And so a lot of them, a lot of the coaches I had over the years would take me under their wing and they would provide me a lot of mentorship along the way and guidance. And so even I talk about this uh, quite often, but um, my sophomore year track coach, Chad Gunnelson, he's the one that put college on my radar. 
because before that, I no one in my family went to college. It wasn't on my radar at all. I I really didn't. I wasn't even thinking post college or post high school. I was just going through the motions, so to speak, uh, of living every day. And then he asked me one day, he's like, "So what are you thinking after high school?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he was like, "You going to college? What what's, uh, where do you want to go?" And I was like, "What are you what are you talking about?" And then he's like, okay, let's, uh, let's take a look at what your options are. And so that's the only reason why that was even on my radar. I was like, oh, okay, like I get decent grades. I was, grades were never a focus of mine. I think I'm fortunate in the sense that I, I, uh, I had a weird sense of, um, accountability. It was like self accountability because I hated coming to the classroom and the feeling of not having your work done. You know, that feeling when like they're going around checking everybody and like you don't have it done. And they're like, check, you know, I hated that feeling. So because of that feeling that I always got when I didn't do it, I just made sure I always got it done. And just by doing that, you, you wind up with decent grades. And so that's the only reason why I had decent grades. So once I actually started focusing on it, I was like, oh, okay, this college thing, you need good grades, you need good test scores, you need to be active in the community. There's like all these requirements in order to be able to get there. And then that's when... I feel like my world opened up. That pivots nicely into my next question in terms of uh, when it came time to think about college, what went into that decision? What schools were you looking at? Um, did you play football or track uh, in college? Just th things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah. Great question, man. Um, so the only thing that was really on my radar was sports. So uh, football, track, passion was football. So I wanted to, to go somewhere where I could play. Um, I had a, a decent, uh, junior year. So I had a few college scouts start, start hunting for me, uh, my senior year, but then I got, I got injured, um, wound up with a, a really bad, um, essentially it was like shin splints that turned into like a, a bad ankle sprain and then the re ankle sprain. So I was essentially out for like over half of my senior year in football. And so I didn't have a ton of, um, opportunity for, for D1 prospects I had. Uh, Northern Illinois um, sent me a letter trying to trying to recruit me to go there, uh, but that was the only D1 school. And then I had a bunch of D2 schools, a bunch of D3 schools, and so I did like the the whole college uh, tour to see all the schools and whatnot with my my, my mom. And I, again, thinking back at what she was doing and how she even afforded the time, and then actually thinking back on, she did half of them with me, and then there were other half that uh, again my coaches would like set up the transportation and coordinate everything so that like, uh, she didn't have to be there. Um, and so long story short, it's probably impulsive decisions that led to me going to UW Madison. Um, and then long story short with that, tried to, to walk on my freshman year, that first semester, uh, didn't go over well. Um, so never actually landed a spot. And so, uh, was looking for other things to do. Uh, I tried joining the, uh, the crew team. So it's like the, the rowing team on campus. That was crazy. Uh, their, their workouts and whatnot on the water and the row machines are just insane. Tried it out was not a fit for me. Uh, and then my, uh, this is like winter break after the first semester of college. So all of that kind of transpired in that first semester. Winter break, one of my best friends in high school actually enlisted in the Marine Corps. He went off to the boot camp during that first semester, came back. And so he was kind of on leave for that winter break period. Uh, during that period, he came back. He had to go into the recruiting office, like get some paper signed. So I went with him. And that's when ultimately um, the Marine Corps was kind of on my radar because I was like, man, so I, my buddy, God bless him, but he was kind of like the class clown in high school. But then when he went through that training and came back, he was like straight laced, like, you know, lean, clean cut, like more serious or more, you know, and I was just like, there's something different. There's something different here. Like what, what is this Marine Corps? And then talk to the recruiter a little bit. The re recruiter while I'm in the recruiting office, like, Hey man, um, I, how you ever been interested in the Marine Corps? I was like, nah, I've never been on my radar. He's like, hop up on the pull-up bar. How many pull-ups can you do? And I was like, I don't know, a few hopped up there, cranked out like 25 pull-ups. And he was like, oh, dang, okay, like, you're, you're a stud, man. Like, let's get you on this uh, little ASVAB test or whatever. So uh, I went and, and did the little um, recruiter test that they try to test, like, your aptitude. And then uh, after I took that test, 
then they were asking me questions like, what are you doing right now? Are you working? Are you in school? Whatever. Tell them I was at uh, school at UW-Madison. And they were like, oh, okay, well, they actually have what's called an ROTC unit there, Reserve Officer Training Corps, which essentially trains uh, you to become a military officer. When you come out of high school, you just enlist in a, a branch of service. So when you enlist, you can go straight in without that education component of going to college. And so that's what my buddy did. But when you become an officer, so if you get a degree and you go through an ROTC program or there's some other programs out there to do it as well. But if you go through that program, now you can become an officer and you can actually lead the other branches of the service. Right. And so that was the path that they put me on. So they're like, oh, you're already in school there. Well, let's get you in contact with what's called the Marine Officer Instructor or the MOI. So they put me in contact with the MOI on campus, had a few conversations there. I feel like to zoom back a little bit to my childhood and growing up, I felt like I had been put in a lot of situations to where I was extremely fortunate. I always felt like someone always had my back or like there was a higher calling for me. And I, I never knew what that was or why I had gotten myself in tough situations and been fortunate enough to like get myself out of them. And so because of that, I was like, man, like there's, there's gotta be a higher purpose for my life. And when I came across the Marine Corps, I was like, this is it. Like, this is, this is like one of the highest callings you can have, right? It's like serving your country. So I was like, this is it. So I was all in, wound up joining the unit probably within like a week of, of first going to the recruiting office. Um, and kind of the rest of the history as far as trotting down the path of, of joining the Marines. That's, that's crazy. I mean, I'm sitting here and you went from, Hey, you know, I played varsity track and, and football and maybe I'll try to walk on at UW Madison to, you know what, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. <laughs> like that's, that, that's quite the, that's quite the pivot. Like what gave you, I know you mentioned that, you know, obviously you saw the impact the Marines had on a friend of yours, or at least the initial training. And then you also uh, feel like you've always had like a higher purpose or calling, but like, what was going through your mind? Like, if you can think back to 18, 19 year old Georgia, what was going through your mind as you're going from, you know, all right, just normal college student. So, you know what, I'm actually going to go on this, this journey that literally can be life or death. Right. Um, there are a couple of things. If I'm reflecting back, kind of putting myself back in that moment. Um, the first being that higher calling piece. Like I really felt like I was called to do something greater than what I was doing. And I felt, um, to be quite candid, I felt little in what I was doing at the time on campus. I felt insignificant. And by choosing to join an organization that was so sharp, so um, prestigious, I felt like that could, could be valuable to me personally. So I think it was a little selfish in nature. Uh, the other component being um, that I, I realized that there was a monetary benefit to joining the ROTC. And at the time, and we didn't really talk about it that much, but like mom's growing up, like she didn't have a whole lot to be able to give. So when I went to college, like I paid for everything on my own. So I was working all throughout college. I, I had to provide for myself. I was taking out loans. I, was, I applied for a bunch of grants and I was fortunate to land some, but it wasn't enough to cover everything. Right. So like I had to grind through college to try and be able to stay in college to be able to finish. Right. And so I actually. Uh, and it's crazy thinking back on this stuff, but um, I remember this is probably like two weeks before Christmas, that first semester, I receive a a uh, um, a letter in the mail, and they were saying, "Hey, you owe three thousand dollars for like your norm cost. If you don't pay this, don't come back next semester." I remember seeing it. That's huge. Three thousand yeah. dollars in a small, you know, amount <laughs> to just no, have in yeah. college. Yeah. It's crazy. And so and and I, I literally I went to my mom and I was like, I don't I don't think I'm gonna continue here. Like I don't know what to do. I don't know how to cover this cost. And she was like, Well, I don't have it. And I was like, I well, I know. I, yeah, I'm just yeah. like I'm almost like <laughs> mentioned to you, no. you know. That's such that's such a hard thing that because you know you're going to your mom just or I assume you're going to your mom just for like comfort, right? And right. like more like, hey, what do you think I should do? But it's hard because I mean she's never I'm assuming, but she's never had to deal with that kind of thing, right? It's so like besides exactly. if it's like rent or something like that, but like dealing with a dorm situation, you know, that's that's a tough 
position to be in, especially as a freshman. Absolutely. And so, um, and I, again, I was blessed with a lot of, a lot of great mentors, a lot of great contacts. One of my good friends still to this day, uh, Eric Mosier, his mom, his dad, she, she even called herself my second mom because she, she always would like bring me meals on campus. So like she worked at UW hospital downtown. So when she come down, sometimes it's like the schedules aligned, she would like drop off meals for me. So she like did a lot to take care of me. But anyway, so my second mom, I was like, you know what? Like, this is crazy. I don't think they will like 3000. That's a crazy amount of money. So, and then they always invited me over around the holidays too, to come see him. And so I came and visited him on the holidays and I was like, it was on my mind, but I was like hesitant to bring it up. But so uh, they were like, how's school? How's, uh, are you looking forward to the next semester? And so I, I honestly just broke it out to him. Hey, I don't know if I'm going back. I don't know if I'll, I'll be able to go back. And they, so they dug into it. They're like, what do you mean? And so I told them, well, like I owe some money. And if I, if I don't pay it to the bursar's office, then like they said, don't come back. And so, um, long story short, they were like, what's the amount? And I told them and they were like, don't worry about it. We got you. And I was like, you know, like crazy. Mm -hmm. Like it was, that was a game changer for me. But then it also put some fuel under my fire or some fire under my fuel, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it was like, I need to figure out how do I, how do I make it through the rest of college? Like, I can't keep asking other people for money. Like, how do I figure out how to be able to afford college? And so I feel like a lot of things just aligned. And so it was in the back of my mind when I was in the cruiser's office, he mentions ROTC. They talked about, oh, that you could get an ROTC scholarship and then that can help you cover the cost of college. So I was like, interesting. Yeah. You know, so I think that there was that monetary component too that was a driving factor for me to also want to to join the LTC. You know, in doing my research on you and learning more about you, one of the the key things was obviously just just the fact that you did enlist in the Marines. So I really want to go a little deeper just uh, to better understand your time with the Marines and how it all works. Uh, so I guess I'm wondering. So you you obviously you enlist while you're in. in or you go through the ROTC program while you're in college. Once you graduate, do you get like deployed or just, just walk us through like once you graduate and you transition into actual service or um, what does that look like? I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, there's two paths. Like I mentioned before, there's the enlisted path and the officer path. The enlisted path, you can, as soon as you graduate high school or sometimes if you're 17, you can get a parent to sign a waiver and then you can enlist in the, the Marine Corps or, Navy, et cetera, the other branches of the service right away. And then you go off to boot camp. Boot camp is like, um, so I'll just describe enlisted phase and then I'll dive into the officer phase and kind of my, my experience, um, and the process there. So boot camp is like the phase of life where to be honest, it's tough. It's a really tough, challenging environment, but it's that way for a reason. They're training you to become as disciplined as possible so that you in the midst of chaos, will follow a direct order, right? To hopefully either accomplish a mission or save a life. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, right? But you have to be trained and ready to execute if you ever had yourself in that situation, or you and your other service members, right? So that's like boot camp. They train you to be like very um, disciplined, ultimately. And then they go off and they, they find a specialty so they'll do like boot camp, then they go to like it's called MCT in the Marine Corps, but it's essentially um, combat training. So that they in the Marine Corps we say every Marine is a rifleman, so they train that first. So that's that MCT is like training them on like all the rifleman skills, like all the tactics, everything, so that you are a proficient rifleman. So if, if all heck breaks loose, right, you have the ability to kill an enemy in close combat range, right? So um, they train you on that, and every Marine gets that training. So that's kind of the enlisted route. And then you go on into your first duty station, um, and then you serve, right? The officer side, you have to go to school first. And there you can either do the ROTC program, so that's where you're doing the stuff during college. There's also called the PLC program, platoon leaders course, to where you, you don't have to do all the same programming that I did in college. Right. And you don't necessarily get the, the scholarship either, but they do have a stipend associated with being a part of that course as well. And then you can go on and commission and, and serve in the Marine Corps as an officer 
uh, as well. Or if you already graduated, let's say you're, you know, 25, 26, and you decide, hey, I want to, I want to become an officer in the Marines or another branch of service. In the Marine Corps, we call it the OCC program, Officer Candidate Course, to where you essentially go to this officer boot camp to get trained or filtered out, right? A lot of people get filtered out. They'll go attend this and then uh, the Marine Corps says, yeah, you're not fit to be an officer of Marines. And so they'll, they'll filter that, that person out. Um, but you go through that course as well and then you can go on and serve. So I did the ROTC component. From that component, um, your junior year of college, you get sent to what we call officer candidate school. And that's the officer equivalent of the enlisted boot camp. So they're drilling in a lot of um, discipline into you, but they're also challenging you in a lot of ways. So uh, they, they sleep deprive you, they starve you, and they put you in a leadership scenario to see how does your brain function and do you have the capacity to lead under these circumstances? Yes or no? If you don't, you get the boot. If you do, it's like, okay, you kind of pass the first sniff test, so to speak. Once you, if you make it through OCS, Officer Candidate School, then you can come back to your uh, RCC unit. You can finish out. So once you finish school and you graduate from college, you also commission in the Marine Corps or in that branch of service that same day. So we have like our graduation ceremony, for example, at the University of Wisconsin in the Cole Center. And then that same, like right after that, I went to the Capitol building and I, I got pinned down my, my second lieutenant bars as an officer in the Marine Corps. So it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so there's that process. Once you, you commission the Marine Corps, then you actually go to that, that equivalent of like every Marine's a rifleman that the enlisted side goes through. We actually go through that side on the officer's side as well, but we call it the basic school. So they fly you out to Quantico and for six months, you're training essentially infantry tactics so that you can be an infantry officer to lead Marines in a combat situation. So uh, you go through that and then every officer is ranked from one to, I think in our class is like 300. So I was ranked one to 300 based on like your proficiency across the board, both physically, mentally, academically, et cetera. And then based on that, you have a list of what we call MOSs or military occupational specialties. And then you select which which ones are can you, you order them like this is my first choice this is my 22nd choice and all the way down and then from there based on your your ranking and your top choices you then get selected for a specialty for the marine corps and then based on that specialty you then go off to a specialty school so for me i finished up the six months uh, at the, the basic school and then i went on to three months down in north carolina for, I chose my top two choices were logistics and then supply aviation. So I, I scored high in my class. They, they kind of bracketed in thirds. So it's like top third, second third, lower third. I was in the top third. So uh, I had my first choice. So I got logistics, wound up going down to North Carolina for a three-month school called Logistics Officers Course. And that's essentially where you learn all the the dynamics of being a logistics officer um, in the Marine Corps in the different capacities that you can serve. And then you go off to your, your unit. I think that's, I think that's uh, great. It, I mean, I pledged and it's kind of like pledging where you're like, yeah. and I, I guess when thinking about it, what kept you like waking up at 5am or whatever time you're waking up at this point, probably 3am, you know, <laughs> going to sleep at seven or something. But like, <laughs> I guess what kept you, what kept you waking up and just continuing to grind and, and, and commit to this process during that time? Yeah, man, I think it's a part of it is like, you get so ingrained in, in the mission, right. And, um, and there's a, a pride in, in wanting to serve your country. Mm-hmm. And so very early on, it became, like I kind of shifted gears from like, oh, this is like a path to like, this is the path. And so once I like shut all other options off, it's kind of like uh, the, that analogy of like burning the ships, right? Like burn the ships. So like, there's no other option. Like you either, you do it or you die. And so that was, that was what my mindset was. You just do it or you die. And so there was no other option. You just wake up every day and you're just going to get it done. You're going to figure out a way. To, to get through this process and, and honorably serve the country. And so, um, and it, it wasn't easy, man. Like it was, it was a lot of, 
of the very tough moments and obviously there's mornings that you wake up where you're hungover or whatever and you don't want to get up but you know that you have to be there because imagine being in a combat situation right to where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're tired for whatever reason or maybe you're sick right but there's enemy fire are you going to be the type of person is just like, well, because I'm sick or because I don't feel well, like kill me now. No, like you're going to get up and you're going to, you're going to fight. Right. So, um, I think I just kind of made a switch in my mind that kind of put me in that kind of vein of you just got to do it despite how it makes you feel, despite whether you want to or not, you just got to wake up and get it done. Like, like every moment's life or death, basically. Every yeah, moment. exactly. Yeah, exactly. And if you if you run through life too, just you know, they, this kind of applies to everything too, right? Like if you take that same thought to anything that you want to accomplish in life, like imagine going to the gym. I want to get in shape. I want to go to the gym. If it's life or death, you either go to the gym or you die. The gym seems easy. Like it's like you know, it's like oh yeah, I'm gonna go. To, it's thirty minutes at the gym. That's it. Okay, all right, I'm gonna do that every day because I don't want to. You know, so if you like make a switch in your mind it makes everything else so easy because you just eliminate all your options no that's that's a bar i mean so you know obviously one of the reasons we went to law school is because they said it'll help you think differently it trains your mind differently and it's very apparent when i'm talking to you that the military does that and then some right and so um like i'm not trying to have you uh divulge confidential information or any trade secrets or anything like that but is there one particular you know lesson or 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 drill or just challenge in time that you can actually talk about uh sort of what that like specifically was and then how you sort of over, overcame that specific challenge to the extent you can share anything specific yeah. about your time whether it was at an ROTC or actually uh in officer school or in your specialty school just any particular moment where you're like, I hated that moment, but it taught me this. <laughs> oh, man. There's, there's a lot of moments. Um, there's one that I was thinking of that uh, I, I went through training. It's the first time that I've ever um, I hallucinated. First time I ever hallucinated. This is like during this uh, Oscar Cannon School. So this is like the training to try and like, again, sleep deprive you, starve you, put you in a leadership situation, see if, if you can lead. And, uh, man, this, so we're, we're operating out of a, a platoon. So a platoon is typically like anywhere from 30 to 50 people. Then you have squads within your platoon. So we had three different squads and we had, I was a squad leader. So I was leading the squad. Um, but so I'm, I'm leading the squad and ultimately we're on a hike. We're on a 15 mile hike, Marine Corps hikes. I don't know if you guys have seen like videos or anything of uh marine corps hikes but like you're you have a a big load it's like you're packing out all your gear and equipment so it's like all your food all your um layers because you're gonna be out in the field for a week you're gonna have to have change of clothes uh you gotta have to back up boots all that stuff you have your you have a flak so it's like your bulletproof vest you have a rifle you have your helmet you have all this stuff on total load size is probably like 100 pounds 130 pounds depending um, but anyway, so you have all this stuff on and you go and you do a 15 mile hike. So we break it up into, into three mile sections. But anyways, uh, you, the instructors are like screaming at you the whole time. How you start the hike is you're, you're already out in the field. You're doing like operations all day. You, we call it bivouac, but you essentially set up shop, like a, a tent to sleep for the night, set up shop, sleep for the night. All of a sudden we hear like explosions and stuff. Uh, in the middle of the night, it's like two or three in the morning. And so everyone gets up and it's like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta make movement here. So everyone packs up all their stuff really quick. We get in the line and then we go. And so <laughs> we're like, probably, we're probably 12 miles into this. Uh, well, actually we're, we're, we just passed the nine mile mark. So we're in the, the nine to 12 mile mark and the instructors are screaming at you the whole time. And like, that's, you can imagine it, it puts stress and kind of burden on you. And then certain people, if you fall behind during the hike, then they will like berate you. But so there was a kid who was, who kept falling behind, like right behind me. 
And so me trying to be a good squad leader, I would slow down anytime that like he was getting berated so that he could catch up to me. And then I knew that I could close the gap between the person in front of me. So I would slow down. But then because I did that, then his target became me as the target. And so they told me to put my helmet on the pack in front of me. So I'm literally like bent over. Remember, 130 pound load bent over hiking. So like shuffling because otherwise you're hitting the person's heels for three miles with my head touching that person's pack for three miles, probably like two miles in I'm exhausted. I'm my back's burning. My legs are burning. And then I literally, I start like seeing stuff like hallucinating just like literally I've never had that feeling before, but like actually seeing stuff. And, um, it's crazy. Anyways, that sounds crazy. As hell. <laughs> <laughs> and my mindset was that ultimately I, I knew that my body was done, right? Like I, like physically my mind was starting to go a little bit, but I knew that we were almost to the end of this hike. Right. So I knew that I could make it. And so, and you typically stop every three miles to rest. So I knew that I was coming to the end of the, this three mile stretch. So I was just like, just get there. You'll rest. You'll get some water. You'll be okay. We make it to the, this is the 12 mile mark now in this 15 mile hike. We rest, we drop all the gear. We literally, it's like five, 10 minutes where you just rest. They always have medical people that like come and like check everybody and they'll like say like, Hey, are you okay? And then if you're not okay, you now we call it the silver bullet, but you get, you get something stuck up from behind. And, uh, and I never wanted to get the silver bullet, but anyway, so they're like checking people, they're checking people. I know I'm not okay, but they come by me. They're like, Hey, Hopkins, you okay? And I was like, yep. And then they keep going, you know? So I'm like, I know I'm not okay, but I don't want to, I don't want to get pulled. Yeah. Right? Cause if you get pulled, then you're going to have to like redo this hike another day. Yeah. Right. And, and I just, my mindset's different. So I was just like, Nope, not happened to me. I'm getting through this thing. So <laughs> it's just, it's a, for me, I think it's when you decide, it's almost like accountability, like self accountability. If you say that you're going to do something, do it. Right. And for me, it was just like, I told myself, Hey, you're going to finish this no matter how it feels. You're going to make it through. You're going to be fine. Right. And if you're not like someone, will, someone will drag you out. You'll be fine. They'll be able to take you to an ambulance. You'll be good. Right. But like, you'll be able to finish this thing. And I think a lot of it's mind over matter oftentimes. Right. And so I just told myself, despite what's happening as I'm seeing stuff, I'm like, you know, I'm good. We'll finish this thing. And I finished the hike. Yeah, I think in those moments that you're talking about, like, even though, you know, you know, there's doctors there, or nurses or whoever that will take care of you or, the, you know, they'll make sure you're OK. You got to really dig deep in that moment, because like for me. I remember I, I can't relate to that, but I, I know like certain growing up where we grew up, right? You see so many ways that people die and things like that. And I'm like, yo, I'm going to be the one. This would be the one time. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a one time this is going to happen. So you got to really, I, I imagine you dug, you had to dig really deep and you talk about it very much. So like, you know, it was just a matter of fact, like this is how it, ha how it happened. But I would assume that a lot of uh, you were building all of that process, the, the years that you had been committing, you were building to that moment. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's kind of what you, I guess, pulled from or what did you pull from? In, in that moment that's kind of scary you know what i'm saying hallucinating yeah. you're seeing aliens <laughs> like you're like Yo, what yeah like, it, what, it what did you scary. what did you pull from in that moment yeah man so um i think it is like the self-countability piece mm -hmm. uh, and i think if you if you zoom way back to like my childhood right so um that moment where my siblings did the thing that got us in trouble, right? And I, I in that moment decided, nah, not gonna do it. I have a choice here. I can decide what I want to do. It, it gave me a lot of power in that moment. And of course, I don't realize it as a kid, right? But it started off that early where I realized that I have a lot of control over how I live my life and the decisions that I choose to make and where that could lead me. And so I think it's training that from a very young age, that decision making ability and then holding myself accountable to whatever decisions that I decide to make. That's maybe what led towards the situation. And obviously there's a lot of training that led up to that moment. But again, it was like a, a switch for me 
in in the mind that just like I made this decision, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make it through this. Don't know. Of course, you're gonna hit hard times. Not everything's gonna be rosy. It's not gonna be easy, and nor should it be. And this is like life too. Like you're gonna hit some hard times, things that come out of nowhere, right? Um, where you might want to quit, you might want to give up. But if you have goals and things that you want to accomplish, or a family to provide for, you're just gonna figure it out and make it happen. And I, I actually circle back on. I think my mom set that example too at a young age, right? Like she had these circumstances, but she didn't let that keep her down, right? She figured out a way to make it happen for us. That's dope. Can you uh, just quickly talk about, obviously, I, I don't think you're an active Marine, uh, an active Marine, right? And so can you talk about uh, just the transition from uh, Marine life to civilian life and what you're currently doing? Yeah, absolutely. So I can uh, kind of zoom through my my time in the Marine Corps. Um, but so I actually had a super unique situation to where um, my first duty station. So your first assignment, quote unquote, uh, was at a unit that didn't exist. So I, I showed up there and I remember uh, Colin Watkins, me and him show up the same day. We were in uh, logistics officers course together. We show up at the same day. This is in 29 Palms, California, which is like the desert. This is the Mojave Desert in California, so inland. And uh, so it's hot. This is like middle of summer. And <laughs> we show up and we get to his unit because we can find his unit. His unit was Victor 17. Uh, Victor is like the, the nomenclature for an infantry battalion, but uh, 1st Battalion, 7th Marines. So we get to 17. He checks in and I'm like asking Hey, I don't see, I was supposed to check into three, four, third battalion, fourth Marines. And I didn't see, like we drove around, we didn't see any signs or anything. So I didn't know where to go. So I asked the, the, uh, administrative person, it's kind of like HR, the equivalent of HR in the Marine Corps. I asked them, Hey, where do I go? And they were like, Hey, I, I haven't heard of that, but you should go check with the regiment, which is like the higher headquarters. And so I was like, okay, they have to know what's going on. So I check into like essentially their equivalent of HR. And they tell me, oh, that's great. You're the first one here. That actually doesn't exist yet, but you're going to be part of the team that helps create it. So um, I was one of the, the very first few with boots on the ground that helped create this infantry battalion. So um, we built all the processes, procedures. We sourced all the equipment, including the facility space, the barracks space to house the Marines, the uh, office space, the warehouse space. All the equipment from all over the the world. We even we coordinated ship movements to to bring equipment from Japan because we have a, a Marine Corps base out in Okinawa and Iwakuni. So we shipped uh, coordinated ship movements there. We sourced gear from uh, the different Marine Corps bases on the East Coast, West Coast, etc. However, uh, <laughs> if you are tasked with giving up some equipment as an organization, what are you going to give up? the worst of the worst right oh i have to give up i only have this much stuff but i have to give up some well let's just give them the broken stuff so we literally got all the broken gear all the worst gear from across the entire marine corps as we're starting up this unit so it's, it's super funny but once we got operational we really weren't operational because we had all this broken stuff so we actually had to spend a bunch of time fixing this but long story short we we fixed all this stuff we grew the battalion from from myself and a couple other guys to over a thousand men. And then we deployed overseas. So like we, and again, we kind of built the framework for all the facility space, all the programs, all the procedures, everything to allow us to operate as a, as a effective infantry battalion in the Marine Corps. So super unique opportunity. The other unique components to, to that is that uh, we didn't do a combat deployment. We did a, what they call it the MRF D rotation, um, but Marine rotational force Darwin so we went to Darwin, Australia. And so this is actually back in 2017 where someone was a little nuclear happy yeah. out that in that region. Yeah. So we flew out that way because we were the they the commandant of the Marine Corps was like essentially like kind of top guy in the Marine Corps. He deemed us as the most ready unit across all of the Marine Corps, ready to deploy, ready to strike, so to speak. So we were boots on the ground training interoperability with the Australian Defense Force. The French Defense Force flew down and the Japanese Defense Force flew down. We were training with all of them. Just in case anything happened, we'd be the first one in to strike. So, um, yeah, super unique experiences across the board. 
but so to, to get to your, your question, um, I ultimately chose, so during that deployment, my wife had just finished up her master's degree in school counseling. And so she moved back home to Wisconsin because we're both from Wisconsin. She moved back home to Wisconsin. I was stationed in California at the time. So she was looking for work both in Wisconsin and in California. And she wanted landing a job in Wisconsin. And I was like, hey, I get it. Take it. It's a great career opportunity. It was at one of the, the best local high schools in this area, um, Heartland Arrowhead, if, uh, if you're familiar. But so great school, great district, great opportunity for her. So I was like, you take it. You've been following me around my Marine Corps career and all these different stations. And like, it's time for you to uh, be able to take your career and, and launch. So uh, so she took it. When I got back from deployment, I was then faced with the decision of do I stay and potentially live somewhere apart from her, right? Or do I, I choose to get out? And long story short is we wanted to start a family and I had to make that tough decision that is time to move on. So I chose to, to get out of the Marine Corps and kind of move beyond it. So once I made that decision, uh, again, it's kind of like goes back to the pickup days, right? If I do anything, I'm doing it 110%. So um, I went all in on this transition. So I looked at every program that was available for transitioning military members out there. And I did most of them. Um, There's a program called Hiring Our Heroes Corporate Fellowship. And this is essentially a program where you um, get placed with a civilian uh, employer while you're still on active duty. And you essentially get to intern with them. And you're still making your active duty pay. And then I did a bunch of other programs as well along the way. Deloitte has an amazing program. It's called Deloitte Core Leadership, um, where they fly you out to their, their campus in Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, you spend four days essentially dissecting your experience in the military and how to convey that experience into civilian speak. And then they help you identify strengths so that you can figure out what do you alter? It's like the strength and like passion intersection. So like, what are you good at and what do you like? And then the intersection is like what you should do. So they, they help you kind of identify that stuff and then decide what potential career paths could look like. So they help you do that uh, over a, a four day course. The thing that probably helped me the most was um, there's a nonprofit called American Corporate Partners, but that nonprofit is focused on pairing, transitioning service members with civilian employer, well, uh, really just people working in the civilian sector, and so, or corporate America, so to speak. And I was extremely fortunate that, don't know how, but I got paired with the CEO of a Fortune 500 accounting company. So <laughs> this guy, uh, he poured a ton of time and energy into me and, and a lot of just wisdom and guidance. And he really helped me identify uh, that I wanted to be in the industry that I am today. My mentor helped me realize that even though I was great at logistics, he realized he made me realize that it wasn't a passion for me. It wasn't something I was passionate about. I was just good at it. And there's a difference. And so he had me do this exercise where he said, hey, think about, and are you guys familiar with the concept of flow? So like Kobe Bryant would always talk about like getting into a set of flow. Yeah, he, yeah. In the games where he would drop 50, right? He was like, yeah, I just got into flow. And, and you know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's um, like the textbook definition is when a challenge perfectly meets your skill set and capabilities and there's like this zone if you like are looking at a chart there's a zone where that challenge meets your capability to execute on that challenge and that's like the state of flow but so kobe would often find himself in this state of flow when he'd go off and he'd hit 50 or more right and so um it's just a when you're doing a task that time just seems to fly by, right? You're finding so much enjoyment, so much fulfillment from doing the thing that time just like melts away almost, right? So he told me to look at the, the tasks that I, were doing, I was doing in my, my current job at the time, that logistics role. And he said, document every single time you find yourself in a state of flow in the activities that you were doing at that time. And so, and this is probably over the course of like a three month period to where I was, anytime I found myself in the state of flow, then I would like, jot down, okay, I was doing some data analytics stuff on uh, all our vehicles in the transportation database or whatever. So like, I'm like documenting all this stuff. 
And over the, the course of the months, I had a list of probably like five or seven things that like brought me into a set of flow. And then he said, okay, now take this list and then go hunt for a job that has these roles and responsibilities in the job type description. And so I was like, oh, that, that makes sense, right? Because if I'm enjoying doing all of these things, if I can find a job that allows me to do all of these things, or at least most of my time is spent doing these things, then I'm probably going to thoroughly enjoy that job. And then one day it like clicked for me and I was like, what about these things that I'm doing outside of work? Because like I, I have this interest in real estate investment. I do also investment analysis. And there's some stuff that's on the sheet that like, kind of correlates like the the research and the data analytics stuff like that correlates with a lot of what I do with when I'm hunting for different real estate investment opportunities and I like love that stuff like I get lost in that stuff and and time just seems to fly and so ultimately that stuff got it added to the list and ultimately once I was doing the research on oh there's something called like a real estate analyst Right. And I again, I had no idea this world even existed. But once once I got into exposed to that, then I realized that there's like real estate acquisitions, there's there's real estate attorneys, there's so there's all these components within the real estate space. I was like, there's something here. And so long story short is, again, kind of feedback from the mentor. Uh, I was like, I think this is the thing that I ultimately want to do. And so he was like, well, what's going to allow you to make the pivot from where you are today? to get into that industry. And one of the things that he mentioned was networking. So I started to attend like real estate meetups and start started reaching out to people in the industry just to have uh, what we call like informational interviews. And I learned that from that Deloitte core leadership program that I did as I was transitioning out of the Marine Corps. Just reach out to someone say, hey, can I buy you lunch? Can I buy you coffee? And just ask you a few questions about what you do. And so I did that with a bunch of different people, just buy their, their coffee or their lunch, whatever. And you get to pick their brain, but you also are looking for ways based on what they're trying to do or what they're trying to accomplish to add value to them to build on that relationship. And so I just started doing a bunch of that. The other component was I was debating on going back to school to get an MBA. And then my mentor was like, well, MBA is pretty broad. It gives you like a general scope. But if you know that you want to be in the real estate space, but you have to know for sure, if you know for sure, then why not go back and get a master's in real estate? And so I did some reflection on that and wound up figuring out, yeah, this is the industry that I want to be in for the rest of my life. So um, I went went to school and got a master's in real estate. So I was doing that. The last component was that he said, is there a way for you to start doing the thing today that you ultimately want to be doing? And so I was like reflecting on that. And I was like, I don't know. Did some research, found out that people do financial analysis. So everything I was doing in my my free time, analyzing my own investment opportunities, right? Like people were doing at scale for like larger assets, like apartments, industrial buildings, offices, retail centers, et cetera. And they would do that at companies, right? That's the role that I was like, oh, that, that sounds interesting. The work that I like to do correlates with that. And so I realized that there are a lot of people that maybe were running a real estate investment shop, but they didn't have the capability themselves or a team member on their team that actually underwrote deals. So what I did is I marketed myself as essentially a consultant to do that work for them. And so as I'm like networking with people at these different real estate meetups and different industry events and stuff, I just started marketing those services. So I started doing that for a fee. And so I was doing the work in order to be able to create enough experience to allow me to pivot in the industry. And along the way, just through the powers of networking, I wound up connecting with some guys here at MLG Capital, and that's where I work today. And so it was, it was like a crazy long path and journey, not conventional at all, but doing the stuff that my mentor just guided me to do. He was just like, hey, figure out a way to do the thing that you ultimately want to do and gain the experience in the industry. If it's an industry that you know that you want to work in long term, is there a way to get credentialed in that industry? So went to school, got the master's in real estate. So I, I was doing all that stuff long tail in order to land a role in the industry. I don't want to gloss over just the incredible advice uh, that your your mentor gave you. I think that's fantastic advice because as, as you were talking, it, it really occurred to me that like you were just in Australia or somewhere like 
like ready to go if something if shit went down if something went down right and, and, right. and then now you're like okay now I have to go be a logistics manager you know like like it the it's not it's not the same thing it's kind of like when when guys play basketball their entire life and then basketball's over and they're like all right what do I do now and so like the fact that your mentor um was there to give you tangible advice I mean I think that probably set you on the trajectory that you're on now right is Absolutely. that fair to say one hundred percent. Without him, yeah, I have no idea where I'd be, what I'd be doing, you know. So then, you know, obviously, like, I'm sitting here with a guy that was varsity captain uh, in high school of various sports uh, to becoming a leader uh, of uh, your unit uh, in the Marine Corps. Just um, talk to us about just some of the the things you've learned about leadership uh, over the years and how you apply it uh, to your work today. Yeah, I really love this question. Um, I actually reflect on my leadership over time. So I mentioned it earlier, but in high school, especially I was, I was a very quiet leader and, and I just, in my mind, I, I chalked it up to just leading by example, right? Cause I had, I had heard coaches say that, oh, like he leads by example. So I was like, oh yeah, that's just like what I do. I lead by example. So I just do the thing in a way that I think other people should do it in order to like try and influence them. But it's like such a passive way of leading. Um, but that's that's all I did in high school. I wasn't super vocal. And I realize now, especially having the the training and experiences that I do, that, man, I could have been so much more vocal. I could have had a, a greater influence on certain people to like be able to pull them in at certain points and say, hey, like I need more out of you. I know you have it in you. Like, let's go. You know, so like, it's fun to reflect back on the leadership at different times. But so I was a lead by example in high school. That's like how I led going into, um, I would say college was more of a, a daze. I was like, figure it out, figure out uh, leadership in general and just like survive. So I was kind of like in this middle ground to where I felt like uh, maybe I wasn't really a great leader. I got put in like different leadership roles, but I wouldn't say that I did like phenomenal at any of those roles. It was more so just like test things, figure stuff out. Then I would say once I've gone through the the training and once I was in the, the Marine Corps, I actually found um, that my style was servant leadership, right? So I wanted to figure out what did the Marines actually need, right? So like, I want you to accomplish the mission, but I need to figure out what you need to be able to accomplish the mission. And I need to figure out how to get you that. So if you need more knowledge and education, well, maybe I need to find someone else to train you or I need to train you to have the knowledge and education to be able to go and accomplish the mission. If you need to be more physically fit, well, now I need to either train you to be more physically fit or find someone else to, to get you more physically fit so that you can go and accomplish the mission. So I, I really focused on the end recipient right or the people that i was leading and i was saying okay what what did they need from me in order to be successful in their role in in accomplishing the mission and i got really focused on serving them in that way um i also realized that there was something called up leadership as well so influencing those that are um superior to you uh and the reason why is because I had a couple of tough leaders uh, during my military career, some guys that uh, short tempered and uh, maybe not the most um, ethical of individuals. And so uh, I realized that I had a voice to be able to influence those individuals as well. Uh, one of my, my leaders, he was a, another logistics officer, but he was uh, my superior in the, the infantry battalion that we were in. And this is earlier in my career. And I just remember, like, there's this one day, and this is kind of a, a summary of, like, his leadership style. His leadership was, like, leadership by force. And so um, we had coordinated this uh, event, like, all the transportation, all the food, all the whatever for, like, this exercise that we were doing. And, like, trucks had to be there to pick up this, uh, this platoon at 6 a.m. 6.01 comes around. He kicks in the, the door, the office door, and there's like stuff hanging on the wall and like there's a board and whatnot, kicks in the door. It comes crashing into the board, splits the board, stuff goes flying. 
my Marines are there. So like people that I'm leading, they're all witnessing all this. And he's like, what is going on with, so he's like berating me in front of the Marines. And, and I overemphasized how calm I was in that moment because I realized how upset he was. And I wanted to try and like bring it out. So I overemphasized how calm he was or how calm I was. And I, I just said, Hey, sir, I don't know what's going on. 601, they're supposed to be here at six o'clock. I'm going to give a few people a phone call. We'll figure it out. Don't worry. I'll get back to you in a minute. So he, he's like fuming at the mouth, right? And then I realized in that moment that like I had the ability to like influence this person, even though I, maybe I don't necessarily enjoy this leadership or I don't respect it or whatever, but I have the, my actions and ability, my ability to lead can influence this leader. And so I realized that and uh, we able to, the trucks were just like delayed. They had to fuel up and then they were there a couple minutes late. Long story short, that he didn't have to blow up in that way. And so, and I actually, I pulled him aside uh, later that day and I just said, hey, I don't know if you like meant to do this. I'm sure that someone else came and screamed at you and that's why you came and screamed at the group. But, um, but I just wanted you to know that the Marines saw that, right? And how do you think that that makes them feel about you as a leader? And I just like let him reflect on that. And, and I saw his behavior over the time that I was with him changed dramatically. Like he became a phenomenal leader. He's still one of the best leaders I ever served with, but like he changed dramatically. I'd like to think that I had an influence on that. I don't know for sure, but, um, but yeah, so um, up leadership, watching myself evolve over time and then serving leadership is uh, kind of the things that I've learned during my time. Um, you know, what advice would you give to 16 year old Giorgio or just, you know, some kid that's at Madison East right now, that's pretty good at football or basketball, um, doesn't know, um, what the viable options are, uh, to sort of make it out. Right. So what advice would you give to 16 year old, uh, Giorgio? Uh, I'll start by, by telling a quick story. So, uh, when I was, probably a little bit before I made that decision with my siblings. So this probably is like kindergarten, first grade. One of my, it might've been, might've been second, third grade, but one of my like favorite days of the week, me and my brother um, was Sundays because we get these big newspapers, right? And on Sundays, the newspaper had all the ads. So it has like, you know, the Home Depot, the Target, the Best Buy, all those things. And so we tear it open. We look at all this, this shiny new stuff and we'd be like what if we built a mock-up of how to build a tree house in the backyard and so my brother would like do the drawings and then like look at home depot okay based on the drawing and how long it would have to be we need like this much wood and for me i was i love numbers growing up i like love numbers for whatever reason i was i was weird i one of the weird things that i would do is i would calculate for each one of my family members how old they were in seconds when I would hand them a piece of paper with the, the number on it and that's I'd crazy. say, Hey, ma, that's this is how old you are in seconds right now. That's crazy. <laughs> I, was, I was weird. I was a weird kid, but it, so I love numbers and I just like loved it. Right. So when me and my brother were doing this, like he would be drawing all the mock-ups, making like the architectural drawings. Right. I would be the numbers guy. So I'm like, okay, we need 10 planks of wood that's cost $2 and 50 cents. So I'm like doing all the math, tallying it all up. And so we'd always like, he would draw everything, construct it. I would be like the numbers guy. We never actually wound up building a tree house in the backyard. But what I realized reflecting back on that is like, I had a passion for numbers, right? And if anybody in my family or in my ecosystem had observed me and my brother doing that, because we did it week after week for years. If anybody had observed that, they could have been like, hey, you could be an architect you know, you could be a real estate analyst. There's a there's a job for this. There's a career that you can have for this, right? And so I tell that story because I I like to have kids reflect on what skill sets and capabilities do you have that are innate to you, right? Because like everyone knows that they have strengths in some regard, right? Maybe you just got the gift of gab, right? You can just talk to people really, really, like that is a, phenomenal gift 
right? But now how can you use that gift for a greater good, right? How can you use that for your betterment? Um, and so I think that's where the exposure to opportunities comes in. Okay, I know that these are a bunch of opportunities available to someone who's got the gift of gab, right? Or someone that's good at numbers. These are a bunch of available opportunities for someone that's good at numbers, right? So um, reflecting on what you have strengths in, but also what you're interested in too, right? So when you find that overlap, this is something I have a strength in, something I'm really interested in, and then it's getting access to a bunch of resources. So it's it's having, it's being resourceful is what it comes down to. It's like, if I have to give myself the advice, it's like, hey, do spend this time reflecting on your strengths and what your, your likes are, and then be resourceful in figuring out what potential paths you could trot down in terms of a career. No, I think that I think that's super important because I think, you know, growing up where we c- come from, we don't realize how resourceful we really are until like we we get up and like like I remember going to college and being like, damn, I, if I could get here, like how much more could I do? You know, so I Absolutely. think the, re- the being the re- being resourceful and understanding that you're different, like if you're okay with talking to people in any environment, that's a skill that you would be, you would like not really think that a lot of people don't like doing, you know, like they hate, you know? So it is, it is important to kind of get that, that, uh, that understanding of strengths and things like that. And just breaking it down at that level is, uh, super important. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, this, this conversation was, so insightful and it, and it's and it's weird because we just met and i feel like i know you you know like and it's yeah. it's just it was just i I really appreciate you taking the time to like chop it up with us and just learn i learned a lot honestly a lot about you yeah that i appreciate you guys having me on again man this is one of my favorite podcasts that i've done man like yeah. it's so fun to to reflect back on these things because you don't you don't do this every day like nah it and they are great questions, and and I hope that you know the the listeners can find some value somewhere in there. I know there's probably sure. still some closed loops out there, but uh, or some open <laughs> loops. But. Um, again, just just thank you again for your time. Thank you um, so much, man. To, to close us out, I just got like um, three rapid fire questions, uh, just to have our listeners get to know you a little better. The first one would be um, like the coolest place you've ever traveled. Coolest place we've ever traveled. Australia was pretty cool, um, but I would say Hawaii, man. One book that has had a profound impact on your life. Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. One word to describe your legacy. I would say resilience. 